0: Well met, friends. I'm Jude Vase. And I'm Steph Midlock. Welcome to Athrobeth, a podcast exploring the dorky orc obsessions of Tolkien's legendarium.
1: Ooh, breaking our alliteration thing there. I like it. It's a little alliterative.
0: (laughs) Orc obsessions, dorky orc.
1: Oh, I like it. Mixing and matching. Yeah, I really, I think that's cool. I couldn't choose,
0: so I did both.
1: I think an Anglo-Saxon poet would like that. I think that's right? cool. Yeah, I yeah. thought
0: I, I thought I thought it would be appreciated. So
1: That's good. That's great. I'm excited for this episode. So this episode kind of came I mean, I think this is something you'd wanted to do for a long time, Jude. Uh but, you know, with the the Rings of Power Amazon show bringing up some very interesting ideas, this is what really ignited you, is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, this month we're talking about orcs and this episode was very much inspired by the character of Adar from the Rings of Power. The topic of orcs is one that I've, I've had a lot of thoughts on, but I've been reluctant to take on some of the more meaty parts of it. But this is an angle that I thought was really interesting that I felt comfortable taking on without going to outside experts. So I'm looking forward to getting into it.
1: Oh, that's great! Well, I can't wait. There's always a lot of chatter about where did they come from. Everybody's confused, and for sort of for good reason. So I'm excited yeah. to to hear you kind of go through and talk about all those different origins and what they kind of mean, and and kind of and also like what your takeaways are. Like, what can we take away from these discussions? And like, what's what's the important meat on the bones here? So yeah, yeah,
0: thank you for doing this. This is great. I'm excited. Well, let's get into it. Uh, we've got many sunless paths to tread. So let's begin. All right, so let's start at the beginning. Tolkien wanted orcs. He, working from the source material he had, he had this conception that he he wanted goblins. He wanted orcs. He wanted these sort of monsters that were his bad guys. But he didn't have a good, when he first wrote them, he just knew he wanted them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because these were a mythological thing, same with elves and dwarves, that he wanted to be a feature of his world. And then in another part of his brain, <laughs> he came up with all of his philosophy and religion and cosmogony for the world. Mm-hmm. And sometime later in the future, these two ships in the night collide. <laughs> And oh, this no. is where, this is kind of the grist of this, of this episode, is how do we reconcile the existence of orcs, which Tolkien wanted to be a fundamentally evil species, with the fact that Eru would never make a fundamentally evil species, and Morgoth, Melkor Morgoth, could not make a living species. This was a, an ability denied him. Only Eru could create a living species, could give them souls and independent thought. So where do orcs come from then? This is a good question, right?
1: This is an amazing question, and that was very well said. Thank you.
0: Tolkien sure thought so, because he spent most of his life trying to answer it to his own satisfaction, much less anybody (laughs) else's. (laughs) And I want to be very clear that he never answered it.
1: That's important up top. Yeah.
0: Anybody that tells you that there is a single answer to this is wrong.
1: Okay. Yes. Perfect. I love that. That's great. Because there's the best, so much like blah stuff about it. And yes, go ahead. The best
0: answer we have is his last answer and his most complete answer. Hmm. But it really needs to be said that he found neither. He was very clear that he found both of these answers unsatisfying Okay. for various reasons. And we'll, we'll talk about what these are. But it it really should be stated that no answer that Tolkien ever came up with satisfied him. and we'll we'll get into that.
1: That's awesome. That's so important to know and I I like that. Let's put on that hat of like keep everything with a grain of salt as we go through all these different things. Yeah. Um, because they're they might be with, at dissonance with one another yeah. right.
0: And this this ties into the whole idea of of canonicity and Tolkien being a fucking joke because the man wrote, the same stuff for (laughs) 60 years and often, and would go back on the same stuff over and over again, polishing and refining, trying to find just the right way he wanted it and would like something and then change his mind and then go back to it and then change it again. And then would write something that depended on one version and then be done with it. Never touch that thing again. And then would completely change some piece that depended on it. So then you have two things like, well, which one do you want? Do you want, the fall of Gondolin having this this feature this way, or do you want this later piece of writing that depends on that feature being changed this way? It, right. It's just, canonicity in Tolkien is, it's a it's stories, that's mm-hmm. what it is. It's which which story do you want to tell in that moment? There's no, yeah. it's not a wiki, right? So, and
1: that goes against what so many fandoms want to do, which is which is actualize Wars. everything, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. That's so, that's great. To, I'm glad you said that. Thank you.
0: So, my format here, we're going to start mm-hmm. out with going through his thoughts in a kind of chronological order. Okay, great. And we're going to we're going to walk through his evolution of thoughts and we'll talk about what they were and how they kind of what his problems with them were. And then we'll talk about what what is the what are we looking at here? What what picture are does this paint of what Tolkien's thought process was, and then we'll get into the section I've titled, Yes, Daddy, or Let's (laughs) Talk About Adar. (laughs) I'm excited for that one. Hello. So let's get started. All right. The very original conception of the orcs, the first two conceptions, really, were as stone, animated stone, and then Mm -hmm. later he modified that to be animated stone that looked like elves. Okay. <laughs> and these were in the very earliest versions of like the unfinished tales. and Okay. Now, obviously, these were discarded very early on as he was beginning to refine the mythology and was like, oh, obviously this can't be right. Melkor can't bring stone to life. Like That, 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 that doesn't work. Okay. So he immediately dismisses those. And he introduces the idea when he's talking about the knockoff elves that Eru, only Eru can create life. Morgoth can only twist and corrupt it, which is really important. Ooh, I like that. So then he comes up with the idea of the Avari. Okay. And this is, if you cast your mind back to the episode okay. that we did about the various kindreds of elves, mm-hmm. there is a group of elves, there's a couple of groups of elves that did not, that we, no, we never meet. Oh, Okay. Mm-hmm. So at Quivienen, we have elves that simply are not interested in what Ormea is selling. We have elves that get jacked by Morgoth in the dark before Ormea or- ever shows up. And then we have those who maybe start on the march and then they're like, this is a real dope forest. I'm good. <laughs> and, and stay there. And so the, we have all of these these varieties of elves that never get get anywhere close. They they hang they stay in the east, mm-hmm. and in the various sources in the in the Silmarillion early drafts of the Silmarillion and other er, and other early drafts of the Annals of Amon and stuff like that, we have read, mm-hmm. we have uh, lines about how Morgoth captured these elves and. Twisted them into the race of Morgoth. Couple of problems. Okay. <laughs> First, he couldn't get on board with the fact that there's nothing elvish about the orcs.
1: Okay. And what do you mean when you say that? Do you mean like appearance-wise? Do you mean like well, anything? Culture wise? Yeah,
0: there's nothing elvish about them. And their souls don't behave to as far as anyone can tell, their souls don't behave like elf souls
1: oh okay there's never any oh. commentary
0: about orc souls showing up in um
1: the halls of the, the halls
0: of Mandos but if mm. they're elves they should right right
1: right seemingly uh,
0: the, mm. whole, the whole idea of elves being corrupted into orcs is extremely problematic for Tolkien on a religious level because the elves are his unfallen archetype sure. and to have them corrupted into the orcs which are his are, are his evil archetype you don't have to worry about killing them because they're they're evil is a really problematic i mean aside from the fact that and we probably should put that right up at the front that tolkien's whole idea of there being an entire race of problematically evil creatures is 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 not great and right, right, right. Uh, we will discuss later on, we will discuss some of the racialist language that goes into the descriptions of the orcs, but it's it's it, Tolkien can't get him on board with it. He's He has a, a lot of problems with it. That said, it is the most complete version because it's the version that's around the longest and has the most work built into it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: this is the version that ends up being in the published Silmarillion because it's the version that is the most coherent with everything else that ended up in the Silmarillion. And it makes a lot more sense than the next one, which is what I have titled basically really bitchy parrots. <laughs> oh no. Oh gosh. Uh, in this one, they are basically animals that have been raised up, basically uplifted animals that have no souls. To be very clear, they have no souls. Mm. They're clever enough to, to like make make man noises the way a parrot would and they are by nature ill-tempered and evil but they do not they do not have a intelligence unless Morgoth's will is pushing on them to act as if they do okay and okay the reason why he has this is this is him overreacting basically to the issues that with the elves where he's saying well they can't have a soul i don't want the i don't want them to have elf souls so clearly they have no soul
1: uh, and th- and that's kind of a catholic thing right the catholics are not into like animals don't have souls they don't yeah. go to heaven that's like a okay so that's interesting mhm yeah i don't love that i'm not going to lie
0: <laughs> yeah it's goof-a-nanny. it's a seriously <laughs> silly solution um oh. He Uh kind of noodles with it a little bit, but it never really seems to get anywhere. The next one is the melting pot solution. Okay. This one is basically where elves, animals, men, Maiar, and one of those upside down pineapple signs that swingers use to advertise when it's time to party (laughs) are all put up in in, in a corner of of, uh, Angband and out come orcs, I guess. Um, Oh my God. Oh, geez. The, uh, this version is rejected for the same reason that the Avari is. Because he just doesn't want there to be anything elfish in them. Because if there okay. is, you get orc souls in Mandos. And he just, he that's like a problem he can't resolve. Okay. He's just not on board with that.
1: It's, that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. The last version that he really starts to work on is the one that depressingly makes the most sense. Which <laughs> is Corrupted Men. Mm-hmm. While he was super uncomfortable with the idea of there being anything elvish about orcs, he seemed perfectly okay with the idea that there was something that you could get an orc from a human with no trouble. He seemed super okay with that. And he didn't have any issues with orcs having human souls. That seemed (laughs) totally, totally fine. The only issue with this was that it made... No sense with the timeline of when humans, when men, at capital M, men, mm-hmm. whatever, that's a stupid name, uh, woke up because a po- uh-huh. uh, canonically, <laughs> it, as he was working on it then, men first awoke in the east with the rising of the sun. Right. Okay. At which point orcs had already been fucking things up for a very long oh. time.
1: Interesting. Okay, so that doesn't work. And then. you would
0: think that this would not be a big deal. That he would just be like, "Oh, they woke up a long time before that, and they were in the east, and nobody noticed." But this, he was he was working on this late in life. You would think that this would have been like the second place he went after dismissing the elves. <laughs> but no, he first he went to parrots, and then like swinging, uh, yeah. and then and then he got to men. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, geez. But. I think it really speaks, we'll we'll get to what it looks, the picture it paints, but I think it really speaks to like how in that world he lived in his head that he, like the idea that it could be men didn't like, it never occurred to him because, well, there were no men then.
1: Right, right, right. So it goes to show you how important like that timeline was to him, right? He did, when we know from previous episodes that he thought about time a lot and changed his feelings on how time flowed, right? Yeah. And how it was marked and stuff. So, interesting. But so, towards... So,
0: well, the last oh, thing no, I, I want to say there is that Please. towards the end of his life, however, mm-hmm. he got uncomfortable with the very mythological cosmogony of Arda. The idea okay. that the sun and the moon were Maiar and the stars were not actual stars. They were things that Varda had thrown into the sky. He, he, he wanted... There to be real uh, astronomy, that the stars mm-hmm. were were distant suns and the sun and the moon were real things. And that meant that he was revising the whole timeline of when these major things happened, like when the sun and the moon appeared, and oh. which would have changed when men appeared and when elves appeared and all this stuff. And I think that's the point at which he started considering corrupted men, because that would have put that back in play.
1: Okay. Interesting. Wow. So can I ask you a question then? Please.
0: Yeah. We're okay, This so, is a good time for that.
1: Yeah. So so all, these six things, stone, knockoff elves, avari, bitchy parrots, melting pot, and corrupted men. Of those, I feel like the one that the casual fans think about the most are is this avari one of them being like twisted elves, right? And maybe yeah. that's from... Because wh- it's, why it's in Why do you think that one's the most... Okay,
0: okay. Yeah, because that was the one that Christopher S- Tolkien put in the Silmarillion because that is the one that was coherent with the the Silmarillion material that he was gathering. So mm-hmm. when he was looking at all the material to put into the Silmarillion, all of that material was roughly the, the version of Orc origin that was ex- that, that existed around the time when all that material was being written and that worked with all that material was the Avari origin. Okay. Okay, all right. And as you can see from these other versions, the, the bitchy parrot version is insane. Uh, <laughs> the melting pot version is <laughs> insane and has all the same problems as the Avari one.
1: Yeah. And the
0: Corrupted Men one doesn't work with the timeline that Tolkien had at the time. Okay. So it, it really is the one that works the best. Okay. It just, it, it the problems with it are, exist, only exist if you think about, if you have like, strong thoughts about the eschatology of Middle-earth. So, Okay.
1: May I ask you another question? Please. Going back to the first one, which was, uh, or the first two, which is stone and still stone slash knockoff elves. You said, you know, Melkor cannot bring stone to life. I, w- I just wanted to ask you, how does that fit with what Owlay did when he created the
0: dwarves? So he can make them move. Morgoth absolutely could have made an army of stone orcs, Mm -hmm. but they would only move for as long as his attention was on them.
1: Oh, okay. The
0: second he stopped focusing on them, they would stop moving because they have no independent will. That's where the parrots come from. The idea of raising up an animal so that they'll still, you know, like squawk and mate and pick fights with each other while he's not looking at them. And then when he wants them to do something like scale a wall and swing a sword, he directs his focus at them and can get them to push okay. to, to go do that. And so um,
1: if if Eru had not sort of taken pity upon Aule and his dwarves, because the whole thing was like, so that would have been the same deal with the dwarves had Eru not been like, all right, you can keep them, but they have to wake up last, right? Like, yeah. I'll let you have them. I'll give them, because he... Did he give them? Well, that's a different situation, but yeah. So
0: he and that's that's the 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 crucial difference here is between Morgoth and Aule, both of them are makers that -hmm. have a a powerful desire to, to create that oversteps the bounds of what what Eru has given unto them to to make. And the creation of peoples is not for them to do, the difference is. Aule attempts it and immediately recognizes his folly. And when confronted, goes to strike them down, to destroy them. And it's in that moment that they cringe away. And they do that because Eru has given them spirits. He's given them souls and has taken pity on them because Aule loves them and has done this not out of a desire to have something to dominate or anything like that, but out of a pure love of making and for a desire to have something to teach. So he overreached, but not for any hubristic or bad reason. It was just, it was in the character he was given and he just wanted to do it more. Whereas Morgoth wants something to control. He wants something to dominate and he wants something to use to he wants a tool to enact his will, but mostly he covets that ability. He covets the fire. And that is a thing that has been true his entire existence, its said, that like de- the denial of that single thing is a very big deal for him. So uh, that wow. kind of is, is one of the main differences between them.
1: That was so well explained. Thank you, dude. I I uh I actually have never really stopped to think about Aole and Melkor being sort of two sides of the same coin. Um, that's really cool. Thank you. Okay, so that definitely yeah. makes a lot of
0: sense. Even though okay. it's it's often you know it's often said that you know like Manway and Morgoth were like brothers and were like equal, mm. um, virtually equal in power. I've never seen that because like Manway is a, a totally different. He's Mighty in authority and and kingliness or whatever, but he's kind of distant. We don't really know anything about Manway. We don't get a sense for what his deal is. Mm-hmm. But Ale, absolutely, we get a feel for the ways in which he is very similar to Morgoth, and I think he's a much better comparison point than prickly old Manway.
1: <laughs> I think that's yeah. Anyway, absolutely. I agree.
0: Cool. So thank you. We look at these p- these various versions these various origins. And what do we see? What what painting is Tolkien trying to paint with these with these orcs? And what do we what pattern emerges? Clearly what what Tolkien wants is for there to be a race that is purely Morgoth's responsibility. He wants there to be something that is descendant from Morgoth and not from Eru but he can't give Morgoth that ability. Mm. He wants the orcs to be people because he wants to give them agency. And he want, as, like, as a writer, he wants them to have that narrative agency and stuff like that. But he, he wants them also to be evil. And that's real mm. problematic from a religious yeah. perspective, especially given the rules he's put on himself with regards to what Morgoth can do. Sure. And especially when it comes to like making them descended from elves, he like makes that a double problem because now he's somehow taking his perfect unfallen elves and contorting them into the absolutely evil orcs. And the idea that Mm. you could take an elf soul, like how is an elf soul supposed to know an orc body from an elf body? And what makes it evil it, is, does it just become evil when it's born into an orc body, or is it is it doomed to be raised into evil because it's born in orc society? It, it raises a lot of really wackadoo questions.
1: Yeah, I think also another question it raises, you know, and going back to his Catholicism, is, you know, if an orc repents— can, can they be saved? Do you know what I mean? Like, can they go back? You know, if, if, yeah. if, if it came from elves, they should be able to be saved and, and their souls should be able to, you Yeah, know, it raises, right. Jesus died for our sins, blah, blah, blah. Yeah.
0: It raises a whole manner of mm. problematic questions when it comes to elf souls. If the orcs are, are in fact fallen elves. Furthermore, I think it becomes clear in recent years that the whole goal is flawed. The idea of there being a, a fundamentally evil race is fucked up. Um, I'm super not qualified to speak on the racist and racialist language that Tolkien used. I, uh, I'm i I'm just not going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. I am going to acknowledge it 100%. That yeah, it's, and that it's say there, that it's
1: wrong. And
0: it's and wrong, it's, but I I, yep. I don't feel comfortable analyzing it. There are people that have, are much better at it than me. I will specifically cite Dr. Dimitri Fimi, uh has a really excellent book called Tolkien, Race and Cultural History from Fairies to Hobbits um, that has some very, very good essays that analyze the problems of race and culture in Tolkien. She's mm-hmm. also written some articles that are published. There's a, a, a number She's of amazing. people have done really good stuff, yeah. but uh, I, Dr. Femi is really one of our leading lights these days in Tolkien studies and her work is extraordinarily fair-minded and recognizes the problems within the work. Uh, but there's all kinds of stuff out there. This is a great time to be in the Tolkien community, the Tolkien studies community and looking at these, these subjects. Yeah. So if it's that's... It's okay to
1: be critical of this. Yeah. yeah and exactly. we should be critical of it. Yeah.
0: Uh, Absolutely. I don't yeah. think Tolkien was a horrible person he wasn't HP Lovecraft but he wasn't perfect <laughs> he lived in a time when you could say these things and really not get any kind of pushback and that led to a lot of unreflective thoughts about these kinds of things and yeah that's not to make an excuse I'm no, just saying no that that's that's what the world that's where the world was and so it was very easy for a lot of these white writers to just say this shit thoughtlessly um, yeah. and for these opinions to just kind of fester and grow. And so mm-hmm. you have this, this language. And I think the whole idea, the whole idea or goal of a wholly evil race, I don't still think it works. Um, I right. think yep. unless Agreed. you're fighting like evil robots, I think you've you got to kind of <laughs> just like dump that one in the gutter.
1: Yep. Agreed.
0: On a personal level. I think it's also sort of narratively limiting as mm. I think the rings of power show really, really demonstrates
1: Oh yes.
0: Which segues nicely into our last section.
1: Oh wow. No, that's great.
0: Um please. Let's talk about Adar.
1: Yeah. So just in case people haven't seen the show, which I you know, not everyone has. Can you just tell us who Adar is? Well, first, is?
0: spoilers. If, yeah. If you right. haven't seen if up you... through episode eight of Rings of Power season of season one, there will be spoilers, tough nuggets. <laughs> so in Rings of Power, season one, episode eight, uh, well, throughout the show, we get this phenomenal character of Adar, portrayed by the absolutely phenomenal uh, Joseph Mole, And he, it turns out, is what we would call an Avari. Mm-hmm. But Galadriel has a different name for him. She calls him a uh, Moriandar, a son of the dark. And she acknowledges mm. him as one of the fathers of the orc race.
1: Mm. That's very interesting. And she
0: knows what he is immediately when she sees him.
1: That's so interesting.
0: Uh, he says he prefers the name Uruk, simply the name of the orcs in the black speech. Okay. And he, that is the, the label he, he accepts for himself, which is really, really important to note. This is not, right. that is, he is saying, I am an orc. Yeah, I want Although take,
1: he doesn't, he doesn't look like one. Typically, he right? doesn't like, look he looks like one. Like an elf.
0: But let's all, let's focus on the fact that the two things there. His name. Let's. I want to. I want to go over the. The the language used here. First of all, to sure. focus on the nomenclature. Yeah, please. Tolkien gives no name for the elves who start the Orcus race because he doesn't like this origin, so he doesn't explore it a whole lot. He simply says that. In, when he does talk about it in those, er, in those early drafts, he says they may have come from elves captured by Morgoth in the first days before they met Orome, or those who rejected him. Uh, these are called the Avari, the Refusers, or Morquendi, the Dark Elves, because they never saw the light of the two trees. But okay. both, ter- both terms are derived from their relationship with the light of Valinor. They either refused to go see it or they failed to go see it. The Morquendi is a general term Mm -hmm. for those who never saw it, whether they were avari because they refused or they started on the trip and then never got there. But that is, the term is explicit in its, is an an explicit differentiation between those who saw the trees and those who didn't.
1: Huh, that's so interesting.
0: And similarly with the avari, that is explicit in its, Mm differentiation between those who accepted the invitation and those who did not. We don't have a term for evil orcs. Like, we don't have a term... When we talk about, for example, Aeol, the dark elf, only in the very earliest drafts do we have any indication that dark elf refers to a moral darkness.
1: Right, okay, yes, right, right, right. Within yourself. mm -hmm.
0: In all the other versions he's referred to as a more Quendi or so
1: someone who physically did not see the light. Yeah. yeah
0: that right. dark elfness is not related to him being to coloration, to mm-hmm. living in the dark, to living in a cave, to being evil, to being ill-tempered. It's entirely mm-hmm. about whether or not he saw the light of the two trees, which I think wow. is really interesting. Because the term, whereas Moriandor, very differently does. First of all, it's a Sindarin term, okay. Which is interesting. I was gonna ask. Which is interesting yeah. because Sindarin is those other terms, avari and Moriquendi are both Quenya, but mm. Moriondor is Sindarin, which I think is interesting mm. in that it's by the, if you were a people, if you think back to the First Age. Mm-hmm. Uh, If you remember our conversation, it hasn't aired yet, but we had a conversation recently (laughs) with a special guest that spoke at length about Sindarin. In the first age, Quenya was not heavily used thanks to the Mm Kinslaying, and
1: Sindarin was the common
0: language. And the first age was when most of the contact with orcs would have happened. Okay. So if you are, as a people, primarily speaking Sindarin, and you learn about orcs, and you learn about where they came from, Sindrin would be the language that you would name them in.
1: Yeah, ooh, that makes sense. You ooh.
0: wouldn't name them in Quenya because you d- they probably didn't know about them in Quen- when, when they were using Quenya back in Quivienen. Yeah. Because there were no orcs oh. back then. Right. And Mori is, so the Mori and Mori-Ondor, the, the son of sons of the dark,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that more root is the same root that we get from Mordor, Oh, it's a dark that has a very specific like Morgul blade,
1: or Moria,
0: Morgoth, Moria. Yeah. Oh. It has it's it's used very. Oh. I mean, it is used very specifically in bad uh-huh. kinds of darkness. Not it's not <laughs> like the sun's down. It's like evil, bad darkness. Right.
1: So, and we know now. May I ask you a quick question? Yeah. Moriandor, the, that Galadriel in the show calls Adar. Yeah. That is that a is that a term? Do we know? Did that come from Rings of Power?
0: It's from Rings of Power. It is not an existent okay. Tolkien word. So
1: that's cool then. That somebody did their, you know, understood the assignment because obviously Tolkien did this as a linguist, uh, you know, on purpose, right? All these yeah. more, star- yeah. That's very cool. Good on you, Rings of Power. That was good. All right.
0: Yeah. So I think that's super interesting. Because Edar means father. Mm -hmm. So the name he gives, the name he takes for himself Mm
1: -hmm.
0: is father. And she calls him one of the sons of the dark.
1: Mm.
0: So it's very clear that he is, that this relationship is understood. As he is one of the elves that founded the orc people. Mm-hmm. And there's no denying that the orcs in the Rings of Power are unpleasant. Sure. But. Yeah. Adar is, and Adar's is one of them. Adar is not a, a super good dude, but he is sure. also an elf. Or at least participates in the elf culture he came from in interesting ways. Mm-hmm. He does certain things that show you his connection to elf culture to show you right. that he is not some monster, which I think is very like, important. Like those seeds, right? Yeah. Planting the seeds. He plants the same ritual that we see Arondir do before battle, uh, new life in defiance of death. And I just think that's super interesting that they make the effort to de- depict Adar. As air quotes human, he is con- he is gentle at times with his children, mm-hmm. and obviously loved by them. And his goal in all of this is to create a land for them where they will not be used by anyone else. Yeah, because they've been used by Morgoth, and they were used by Sauron, and he he slew Sauron as best as he was able. Right. in order to save them from being used in his experiments to, to, to whatever he was doing with the Unseen Realm. His goal here okay. is to give them a, a realm away from the sun where they can be their own people,
1: which... Yeah, it's very touching.
0: ...is a fair goal. Mm-hmm. Granted, they go about it in a pretty ruthless way, Right. But let's be real. Like all kingdoms are achieved through violence.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's absolutely. I mean, Numenor canonically sets up its relationship in middle earth through colonialism. They right. are going <laughs> to, they are going to build a bunch of cities on the coast and establish a pretty, depending on which Numenorians and which era uh, set up relationships with the locals through uh, varying degrees of economic or military colonialism. Um, Right. Like, it's going to, I mean, sure, they're not going to ignite any volcanoes, but they're going (laughs) to displace a lot more people than the orcs did and murder a lot more people than the orcs did in pursuit of that goal. They just happen to wear fancy clothes instead of, like, pelts. Yeah. It's... You, you can make the argument that it's an entirely, like, aesthetic and cultural assessment that differentiates the orcs in this show from, from anyone else. Yeah. Um,
1: and what an important lesson. Like, what an important thing to say. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, the last thing I, I want to point out, uh, nomenclature-wise, is that mm-hmm. uh, the word uruk doesn't have a signifier. Okay. It just means orc. The same way that man and elf simply identify them. Uh, Quendi, which is the name the elves have for themselves, has a meaning. But man and elf do not. And the Mm. fact that Adar prefers this term is really interesting to me. Mm. Because it means that he no longer sees himself as an elf. But that he he sees himself in relation to his children. Mm -hmm. Not in terms of his relationship to Morgoth or the light of the trees or the people that he came from, but in relation to his children.
1: Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Which I think given the name he has Mm -hmm. father and his goals makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And I think is, uh, I, I really do hope he's not, they're not done with him on that show uh, because there's so much rich ground to to cover there.
1: Yeah, I really I lo- that was so beautifully said. I think um I'm thinking back to a lot of the visual imagery that we get of him as well. Um something that <clears throat> a lot of different people had mentioned was, "Oh, you know, his breastplate, you know, has the same sort of like topographical mm-hmm. or river thing happening." Yeah. And um and and so does uh, Gil Gallad, right, and, and whatever. And yeah, you're right. There are all these, like, visual clues that are trying to make us, like, you know, s- solidify that, okay, in my mind, when I see him, I think elf, right? And then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, no, he he's he's an Uruk. That's, okay, now I got to change how I think about them. And and I think I said to you in one of our ather chats, it was the whatever episode it was when they bring down, when a Rondir brings down the tower... On them, um, and I had this moment of like, oh no, run, orcs, because it's coming down on you. Yeah. And then I was like, oh wait a minute, no, hold on, that's wrong. Because yeah, it, they are. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think the way that this show portrays them is, I mean, yeah, they still s- super suck, but um, I don't know. There's something. There's something else there. Yeah, it's great.
0: And I think it it does a, a fantastic job of not reclaiming, but repairing this origin. And mm-hmm. this idea of the evil race. Um,
1: yeah.
0: I think you, it doesn't answer any of the questions about how to make evil orcs descended from elves work spiritually. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I don't care. Yeah. Uh, and coming for me, that says something because that's, <laughs> that's my subject. Like right. elf souls is legitimately like the thing I had planned to write my master's thesis on before I had a kid and my free time dried up like a cup of spilled water in the Sahara. <laughs> you can make that work. There are plenty of ways that you can justify how that works. Yeah. It's much more interesting to me to ask like narratively speaking, what is going on here? What, how do we make the orcs if you, cause you can't really take the orcs out of Lord of the Rings without really drastically changing that story how do you make mm-hmm. it okay that there are orcs? How do you have mm-hmm. orcs in the story in a way that doesn't perpetuate these problematic stereotypes? And I think Rings of Power has done a great job of saying, well, there's orcs, but there's more to these orcs than than we have than has been shown in the past. Mm-hmm. They're people that have yeah. had a a fucked up history. They have been yeah. enslaved and dominated and used, and there are they have someone that wants to give them better and maybe they could be different and better if they had the opportunity. And we know for a fact, that's not going to happen. Poor Adar yeah. oh, he, does not get it. Yeah. He's going to get it. Cause we know, we know that those orcs are going to end up eaten by, eaten by crevasses <laughs> at the end of fellow uh, return of the King and right. Hunted to the, basically hunted to extinction by uh, Aragorn's reborn Gondor. Um, yeah. I, I like that the show is making the effort.
1: Yeah. I agree. I think it's um I think it has definitely kindled a lot of conversations. Yeah. and and people looking at them in a different way, which is super important. And so I'll be interested to see then next season what happens and how how Sauron's going to, yeah. you know, take them back kind of or not take them back but take them. Yeah. Cuz I mean the question the question was like you know when I mean I hope we get some kind of flashbacks because I'd like to see what happened when Adar killed him the first time. Yeah, like why? What you know had that process already begun and, you know, I, I don't know. It seems like yeah, I'm I'm very
0: interested to see more between Adar and Sauron and how yeah, m- just more of Adar's story. Someone I follow on Twitter was like raised the fascinating idea of like I don't want to supplant Tolkien's canon in the, the small C sense, like canon is in like body of works, but mm-hmm. I, I would love the idea of like printing rings of power canon in the sense mm-hmm. of like putting out books and expanding the world of rings of power outside of the TV show through books and stuff so that we can learn more about Adar and things yeah. like that. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I would buy a histories of Middle Earth book all about Adar. In a heartbeat, and he was like, "I was thinking more of a novel, but like, you do, you nerd." Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, we got to get the fan fiction community on this. This is exactly I, the kind I of may stuff have gone to Ao3 after
0: that conversation to see what there was, uh, and then and I, was there anything? Well, I got distracted on the way and ended up reading like four hundred thousand <laughs> words about Goblin Emperor fan of uh, goblin emperor <laughs> fan fiction.
1: Oh, but. that's a good yeah, that's a good book. Um okay, well, we'll have to all right AO3 users, we're we're depending on you guys. Yeah. We need some more here.
0: Yeah. So that's that's amazing. That's all I've got on the subject uh but I am looking forward to seeing how it develops in the show from here and um yeah, I I I may come back to this subject in the future as I have more thoughts on it, so.
1: Yeah, so like just a, just sort of a f- some final thoughts maybe from you. So you had said earlier that what emerges from all of these different ways in which Tolkien tried to work out how they came to be, how the orcs came to be. You said what emerges is a race that is purely Morgoth's responsibility that was descended from Morgoth only.
0: That was, that was what, that was what Tolkien wanted. That was his, that was his, that was his desire. I don't think he achieved it, but that was what he wanted.
1: Okay. I think that's, I think that's, so, so, all right, Jude. So then how about here to, at the end of the episode, can you, because this is something that I think all of us Tolkien nerds are, get from people who then, you know, oh, you like Tolkien. What do you think of Rings of Power? What do you think of that? What is, what is our elevator pitch then for like, for, for orcs in, in Middle Earth? Like what, I, what's, what's, what are the, what's the one, what's the one thing we can say to a kind of a really casual fan, you know?
0: I I don't think you can. You can't. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I would say that Tolkien tried really hard to define Mm -hmm. where his orcs came from,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but his literary desires conflicted with his philosophical and religious desires, uh, Mm -hmm. and he painted himself into a corner that he never resolved.
1: Okay. Okay. Perfect and I, uh, great. That is great. That's exactly that's exactly what we all you know need to keep in mind. And then and then yeah. And then whether or not you listener on your own level, if you liked what Rings of Power did or if you didn't, um, you know that's up to you. Yeah. Wow, that's really great, dude. This was great. I think that this is a very difficult subject because of the racial implications that come along with it. I hope that maybe we can invite you know m- more folks on to talk about this with us um because I, I think this is an important conversation to have. Agreed. Um but I I really appreciate how you laid it all out because this is something that I've been that I've been confused about for for a while. So yeah. thank you for doing that. This honestly listeners, dude, did all the work on this. This is like the best outline I've ever seen. I really <laughs> think you should turn this into a paper. I may great. I may I hope you do. It's awesome. I love it. And maybe like man, someday in the future you could get that master's done because this is so cool. Someday. I, I want to read a million pages about this this (laughs) was great thank you so much and so listeners if you because again this is a big subject if you have questions on this like jude's your guy for it um come on to our discord and ask us or you know let us know your thoughts or come on to our twitter um we want to hear from you because this is a very fascinating subject yeah with lots of nuances so many nuances cool jude well thank you thank you so much for all your work on this thank you
0: The road may go over on and on, but this episode is over.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, which how could you not? This was amazing, Jude. <laughs> Please leave us a review on iTunes as it helps increase our visibility. You can find us on the web at podcast.athrobeth.com. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Athrobeth underscore cast. My pal Jude can be found at Eremitic Jude and I can be found at the North Four. Our dear producer, James, who edits this episode, all of our episodes, uh, makes us sound amazing, is a cool dude. He can be found on Twitter at Jay Pearson. Title music is Lord of the Devil Rings by Pony Music, courtesy of Pond5. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Thanks for listening. tu <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>